All right, we are rolling now. Counting us down. Three, two. You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show. Hey there, Misketeers. Welcome back to Missing Out. I'm Tari J. I'm Lex Michael. And if this is your first time listening, what we do here is we introduce each other to different media, whether it be movies, music, television, spoken word, books, experiences, things that have built us up as people. And we hope that in sharing it, it builds you up. We are the retrospective that's introspective. Now, see, this is how you know Tari J is a pro. He just laid that intro out for you, having, you wouldn't know it, having just felt his very self, the beat of the rhythm of the night. Ah, yes. Right? Now, you wouldn't know that he just experienced this because he was just able to articulate so clearly and so beautifully exactly what it is we're doing here. Whereas, when I feel the beat of the rhythm of the night, I forget about the words on my mind and leave it all behind, thus rendering me ineffectual as a podcaster. Indeed. Those are the worst shows. We've had to scrap so many episodes because Lex just wasn't feeling the rhythm of the night, and he just sat there frozen for a full hour. I talked at him as much as I could, but he would not respond. So so, uh, so why, are we, uh, why are we making DeBarge references first, first thing? Coming right out the gate with some sweet, sweet DeBarge references. Why is that happening? Oh, boy. Can you say DeBarge a few more times? DeBarge. Oh, damn. You know, I did not know that that's where this song came from. Um, I did. I did not. Where? What, what are we talking about? Why are we talking about DeBarge? And where did this song come from, Tari J? Okay. Uh, today we're talking about... The Last Dragon, the 1985 film produced by Barry Gordy. Yes, that Barry Gordy. Motown's Barry Gordy produced this film. I I love the idea of him introducing himself as Motown's Barry Gordy. I mean, that's who he be, though. Uh, And it was directed by Michael Schultz, the starring uh, Timac, uh, Julius J. Curry III. And it was written by Louis Venosa. Vinosta. That's how you pronounce that. There's a T in there. Um, it's also got uh, got some vanity in there. Yeah. Uh, uh, who uh, She was an item with Prince for a while. That's mostly why I know her. Oh, is it? Which is super reductive, uh, sure. I don't want to identify her only as an appendage of uh, the superstar artist she was once romantically involved in. Right. She had a, a big career in her own right, music, movies, uh, and uh, she shows up here. A lot of fun. One name. I can't. I tried to pull off the one name thing for a while. It didn't work. Um, oh, was that when you were going by Lick Cycle? Yeah. And people were like, I don't get it. And I was like, well, the cycle refers to the circle of life. And they're like, like a unicycle? I was like, no. Um, yep. Just <laughs> so, like that. But uh, also got uh, uh, Faith Prince as well. Uh, Tony Award winning Faith Prince. Yep. Uh, and, some, and a cast of thousands. Yep. All those people are involved in this movie. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna rescue you from yourself, <laughs> and I'm gonna pitch this thing real quick. Do it. Do you love martial arts? Are you obsessed with Bruce Lee? Have you ever been to Harlem? Well, all of these things are featured in The Last Dragon. Show enough. <laughs> okay. 
that was my pitch. It was really good. Um, that was a reference. I ended it with a reference to the movie. Yep. I mentioned important places, important references. We already talked about Barry Gordy. Uh, you know, also, if you're black and you're like, yo, I need a martial arts idol. Timac, baby. Hell yeah. <laughs> I just, and you're, you're responsible for saving me from myself. Yeah. I'm watching you. It's like you see an island off in the distance and you're like, if I row real hard, I can make it to this island and I will build a house and live there for the rest of my days in bliss. Yes. But it's all it's all the journey. It's all the paddle. What? <laughs> you'll you'll make that island I one day, Tari. I don't Tari. understand this metaphor or analogy <laughs> at all. I'm You'll I, make it. Keep paddling. Okay. I feel like I was there. I feel like I did it. Uh, I put my flag down and I was like, I live here now. And everyone in the audience was like, we will live with you. But you've been at sea for too long. And in fact, you just dropped your flag straight down into the water. Interesting. That's why do you think I tied the string onto it? It's because I knew that you were going to be dehydrated and heat sick and you would eventually drop your flag in the water. The uh-huh. string is right. You can pull it back up with the right, string. Right, 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 right. Unless you drop the string in the water. Indeed. Um, so this movie, I really, I brought it in because I really enjoyed it as a kid. And I feel like it is, it was, it's still holds up for the most part. There are some, some things that as an adult, I, um, I'm like, hmm, troublesome. But for the most part, like, I think it is just over the top and cartoony enough to still be entertaining. Um, I think that the characters are uh, wacky and whimsical enough that you're like, all right, I dig these people. They're very distinct. Um, And I also like the amount of homage while still being its own story. Yes. So uh, I still really dug it. Uh, this was your first time seeing it, right? Yeah, I'd never seen it. I had heard it referenced a whole bunch. Like, I I, I know uh, in Sorry to Bother You, there's a very explicit reference to it. Tessa Thompson does a performance art piece where she's reciting some of Faith Prince's dialogue from the movie while people pelt her with vegetables. And right. Uh, yeah. And also in the music video for Dangerous by uh, Buster Rhymes. And he dressed like, uh, yes. like Show Enough? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's referenced a lot, like a lot of people really, because Shonuf is such a big character that like he is referenced a lot in in media. So you'll hear people be like, blah blah blah, who's the who's the baddest? And it's like Shonuf, or who's the master? Shonuf. It's all over the place. Um, and I, I also I I think that this movie accomplished what it what it set out to, at least for me, where um, the writer Louis Vinasta wanted to make a a movie that gave young black kids their own martial arts person to look up to. Mm-hmm. Um, I, to this day, have still never seen a Bruce Lee film, but I have definitely seen this a lot. This was my first exposure to uh, the concept of Bruce Lee. Yeah, and of course, this movie is loaded with very explicit and specific Bruce Lee references. Right. Obviously, right on down to the fact that the the main character goes by Bruce Leroy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I and, and he's basically modeled after the concept of Bruce. It's like they took Bruce Lee and were like, "Yo, you black now." Well, it's it's true. Like a lot in in some of his movies, Bruce Lee plays a character that is a little bit. Obviously, he's incredibly proficient with martial arts, but a little bit uh, almost childlike 
in his in his detachment, like his his customs, his way of his philosophies, his way of approaching the world is so out of step with the way the entire world is moving around him. Yeah. And he's got this as he tries to navigate that, as he tries to sort of reconcile just the guy he is, not the martial artist, not the master, but just the guy he is with the world around him. I feel like there's a lot of parallel uh, to the way Bruce Leroy approaches the characters in his life as well. Yeah. And, and Bruce Leroy, he was uh, the last person cast in this movie. There were a bunch of people who auditioned for it. What the, didn't they, didn't they consider the Tybo guy? What Billy Blank? Yes, they considered Billy Blank. Um, and uh, they also, uh, Wesley Snipes, uh, Mario Van Peebles, uh, I think even Denzel Washington also read for the role. But ultimately, Tymac was chosen because he has such a like an innocence about him. He has that quality. Yeah, yeah, he absolutely has that quality. Now, having said that, now I do think they they very much made the right choice given what they seem to be going for. I'm real curious what a, what a Denzel version of this movie would look like. Um, I feel like I, when he starts fighting people, like of course he's the one you'd root for, but I'd be I'd be scared. I'd be like, he's really gonna hurt those bad men. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I mean, this is like that would be like younger Denzel though, like before he's like the uh, enforcey type, just like destroyer character that he is now. Right, he's not man on fire yet. He's not like doing the chops, going. I wish you had more time. Yeah, and then like puts a bomb in their in their butt. Mm-hmm. That happened in that movie. Oh, I remember. <laughs> I was there. Um, so it would have been like younger, I smoother. I was that man. <laughs> I'm actually, I would be interested to see what a Wesley Snipes version of this movie, because Wesley Snipes has both the acting chops and the martial arts chops that I think he could have really done a good job. Um, I mean, I guess I don't know if he does have the same like innocent feel to him um yeah wesley snipes has a sort of not not sinister quality but uh (laughs) uh you you know as soon as this dude walks into the room if he wants to open up on you you're you're probably not walking out of the room whereas bruce leroy comes on like this sort of young boyish almost innocent guy and then all of a sudden it's like he sees you're up to no good and he can completely take you apart and it's like a total reversal almost in, in terms of the persona he's presenting exactly um, but, and so, uh, this was Timex's first acting role. And so they were saying that like, it was the biggest, hardest task in the whole movie was to kind of coach him through the acting portions. Like he could do all the martial arts, but like acting throughout was, um, kind of the biggest hurdle in the same way that in the inverse, um, uh, Julius hadn't done martial arts, but he was an actor. And so they had to teach him all the while uh, kind of teaching. So they, they kind of went on opposite journeys and ultimately met in the middle. Um, but like, and I, I can't wait to talk about Julius Curry's, Curry's performance. Cause it's, it's iconic, He's baby. making some big, big choices. <laughs> he does a, one thing I could say that's in no way spoilery at all. He looked to me like he could be like a long lost Murphy brother, like Eddie Murphy, Charlie Murphy. He looks like he could be one of, like I wouldn't mistake him for either one of them. Right. But he looks like he could definitely be from the same, the same family tree. Yeah, I could see that. Like I, I definitely feel like uh, this could have been played by Charlie Murphy as well. Um, 
if in fact that's also the, I want the Wesley Snipes Charlie Murphy version of this movie. Well, unfortunately, we don't have Charlie Murphy to make it anymore. We could Peter Cushing Charlie Murphy. No, I don't want it made now. I want it made then. You want the alternate timeline. You want it to fall through from a void in time and space. Yes. Yeah. Um, like the back when uh, Charlie Murphy and Eddie Murphy were hanging out with Prince, that Charlie Murphy. All right. Yeah. Just just like I want to see the Al Pacino Star Wars. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, guys, I need someone. So if you're listening and you are you're from Earth like two. a, I was going to say, if you uh, are a quantum physics person and you have some time on your hands and want to find a way to travel between different uh, versions of the universe or the multiverse, if you will, um, please write us. Um, you can do so on our Twitter at Missing Outcast. You can do so. You can also email us at uh, missingoutpodcast at gmail.com. Either of those help us get to the universes that have this specific versions of these movies we're talking about. I saw the Avengers master this science. We know we can do it. Yeah, super easy. Like Iron Man did it in a night. He's just like, yo, let's do some Mobius strip inversion. Um, so, bruh, super easy. Barely an inconvenience. Um, what a weird specific reference. All right. Uh, so I feel like this is a really good time to drop down the spoiler wall. Um, so I'm going to do that. Uh, while I'm doing so, I'm going to remind you guys that, uh, you know, we are on all platforms that you listen to. So whatever you're listening to right now, make sure that you subscribe. Um, and if you have a chance, uh, leave us a rating, a review, just so we can get to the top of the charts. Other people will find us because as we've said before, the strongest method of advertisement is word of mouth. Uh, we recently got a five star uh, rating, which thank you for that. If it was you, um, we appreciate it. Uh, and if, if it, you leave if a review, it, yeah. we will do, we will read it on this show. If it wasn't you learn by this person's fine example. Yeah. Do do it. It takes 30 seconds to, to leave a rating, um, but it helps us infinitely. Yes. Um, so I've, I've done the spiel. I've, I've, I've said things. Uh, I've given you a chance to reach towards your radio or your phone or your iPad or your computer in order to uh, turn this off and come back after you've watched the movie. So the spoiler goes up, right? After this. All right. We are back. And now we're going to be talking about spoilers, baby. So if you ask Eddie Arcadian, the strongest form of marketing is getting your video onto uh, Vanity's VJ rotation. Yeah. Um, Also, kidnapping and strong arming. Yep. Um, It's very effective. It really is. Well, until a... uh, ninja pops up and beats all your dagoons and uh makes your girlfriend mad at you and and like clearly though but clearly eddie arcadian's been doing this exact type of thing for quite some time and this is presumably the only look at how unprepared he was for bruce leroy's intervention clearly this is the first time anything like this has happened so that's one out of what probably at least 200 so statistically you're probably fine to do your crimes without fear of ninja intervention i don't know this it Feels like it's only his second round, because um, we had Rock, who was the the 
boxer that he tried to make famous and now he's on to his girlfriend so like this is and the first round was highly unsuccessful well sure sure but that's that's only the ones that we have referenced explicitly like that's the only ones that his girlfriend knows about is her and the the boxer played by mike Starr. but I would be willing to bet that Eddie Arcadian's been making his money off of manipulating people like this for some time. Like, there was a, a young boy who wanted to be a famous ballet dancer. He's dead now. Oh, Yeah, that's how boy. Eddie Arcadian rolls, dude. <laughs> like, he, he used to have a full, thick quaff of hair, and one hair fell out every time he manipulated and, and destroyed a young, aspiring, hopeful talent. Yeah. He's been, no, he's, he's been at it, like... Think think about how bald the top of his head is. That mm-hmm. used to be just a dense, lush forest. And follicle by follicle, crime by crime, he lost it all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, for context, if it's been a while since you've watched this movie. If you have no clue what I'm talking about. Um, Eddie Arcadian is a... He seems to be a guy who creates, like, games and electronics. Um, essentially, like arcade games and arcade boxes. Um, there's an Arcadian uh, jukebox inside of Bruce Leroy's father's pizza shop. So he's all, he's everywhere. But what he seems to be doing is trying to get into the management business. And he is trying to get his uh, current star slash girlfriend uh, she made a Madonna-style music video. Oh, which, by the way, that that Dirty Book song, never leaving my head. I mean, it's a, it's a banger. It's I le- By the way, it so earwormed me that when the movie was over, I went all the way back to that scene just because I thought, well, if I hear it one more time, uh, I'll be able to, you know, like sometimes you get a song stuck in your head right. and you listen to it again and it goes away. So I thought, well, maybe that'll happen. It didn't happen. Aww. It's worse. Is it? It's worse now. Well, maybe you'll just have to listen to it again. It's is it on the soundtrack album? It must be. It should be. They yes. did a video for it and everything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure you could also find the like standalone video as well. Right. Yeah. I will, I will YouTube that for sure. I'll see if they got that sweet soundtrack on vinyl. Just put the needle down at the beginning of that track. Let it play. Pick the needle up. Start that track over. Right. Uh, but <laughs> I'm sorry. I have a question. Obviously, Eddie Arcadian's name is. Uh, a decision a writer made. Obviously, this is these are fictional characters, but within the world, as you point out, you say like this is a guy that makes toys and games, like arcade games, arcadian. Now, yes. in the world, yes. do you think is it's a chicken or egg, right? Like, do you think his name from birth, his family name, is Arcadian? And he's like, well, that sort of locks me in to one career path. It's arcade. I got to design games, and Arcadian sounds a little sinister, so I I got to do crimes at the same time. Okay, or do you think he decided to do both games and crimes and then chose his own name to sort of like uh, consolidate his brand? Hmm. Um, I think he definitely chose his own name. Um, Cause if you're going to do crimes one, yes, you have to have a dope name, <laughs> but also uh, you don't want to use your birth name. His name is probably like Eddie Jeeves. And he's like, I don't, I don't think Eddie Jeeves has the right ring for crime and or management. Uh, So I'm going to go with something real cool. Something archaic, 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 
Arcadian. <laughs> and then like lightning strikes and he's like, <laughs> I have found who I am. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, whereas interestingly enough, show enough is what's on his birth certificate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> he was born and it's show enough. And then under occupation, because babies have occupations, <laughs> it's Shogun of Harlem. And it's, and it's like mother lightning, father power. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um, but yeah. And so uh, he's so there's this there's this moment when he actually manages to kidnap uh I forget her name. Velvet is not her name. Vanity. Vanity. Um, there's a moment when he manages to kidnap Vanity, and she shows it to. He shows it to her, and she she seems relatively entertained by it. Um, but I mean, under the circumstances, she's like, "I'm not gonna. I'm not so gonna do you, what you are say." You, are you kidding with this? Yeah. Um, but I I do like that because the show that she runs, Seventh Heaven seems to be kind of like a like a almost like a soul train-esque type deal that seems to mainly feature talent of color yes and so when he when she's like it's nice and all but it's not what we do right like eddie arcadian's trying to muscle in and and essentially gentrify seventh heaven right um it's like take the hint, buddy. Like <laughs> know your audience, um, and it's it's also crazy because one of her videos is playing on one of his jukeboxes later in the film. So like, there's already exposure that he's providing for this client. So he doesn't necessarily need Seventh Heaven. Well, and not for nothing. This is why I feel like ultimately. Eddie Arcadian's racism is probably a bigger motivating factor in his plan in this movie than anything else because, I mean, at the time, certainly, I mean, it's, it unfortunately hasn't changed all that much since, but relative to white folks in terms of media exposure, people of color were relatively marginalized. Right. You would think if racism wasn't Eddie Arcadian's driving motivator, he would try to be getting that, he would be trying to get that tape on a bigger platform right than what because it seems like seventh heaven it doesn't like go out all over the world it seems I mean, pretty it seems fairly localized maybe i mean it might be like national right but like yes i think that yes i i do like the idea of him being like yo we white people gonna take over this black show well, because think of it like it otherwise his plan doesn't make that much sense it really doesn't it doesn't make great business sense for I mean, him it it makes sense in that like he's trying to give her more exposure and it's like we're gonna oh. break into a new market right yeah they'll love you yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah. like how um in the old days they essentially rebranded black music and we're like yo this is rock and roll and it's just white people doing the same music yeah. um it's just like that except it is uh in video form all right yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, is that not okay? No, I just I but I do think it's interesting that uh the the dirty books number one one by the way of a uh, far larger number of musical interludes than I was expecting going into this movie. You know, uh, I actually felt like cuz one of my notes is actually is that um dope soundtrack for one and two 
about as many musical interludes as I'd expect from a Motown film. Fair enough. That's yeah. that's very true. Like there were points during the movie where I forgot that Motown's Barry Gordy produced this movie. Oh, yeah. So it totally tracks that there would be a lot of uh, a lot of focus on music. But I, I was surprised by the number of times we basically stopped the movie for a musical number. Yeah. And was even more surprised, this has not been adapted for the stage, to my knowledge. No. And in a world where we are taking every conceivable movie that everybody has ever heard of, and we're adapting it into a Broadway musical, it seems like most of that work has already been done. Yeah, though I feel like it would be a rights nightmare. A rights mare, if you will. Well, um, but if it's, if the... I mean, I, I'm not a, a, an entertainment lawyer, so I guess I don't know for sure. But I would, most of these songs were written for the movie, were they not? Um, a lot of them were, or they were licensed f- specifically for the movie. But it's also not just the artists, but it's also the Bruce Lee esta- estate. Um, you in addition- you'd have to get them to sign off on the songs? No, I mean obviously you to, couldn't you couldn't use his image, right? Or right. the like use of the name Bruce Leroy, and like the whole movie is based around Bruce Lee. So like you ha- like you'd have to get sign off on the in that regard, and you'd have to update a lot of like. Oh well, sure, yes, you'd have things. to cer- certain uh, elements that read very problematically through the prism of 2019 cultural mores. Sure, right. Um, so I mean and. You know, after what Quentin Tarantino did with Bruce Lee, who knows if they're going to be releasing rights? You know what I'm saying? Like the internet says they made him look like a wimp or something. Yeah, they're like we we couldn't trust uh, a notoriously politically correct filmmaker Quentin Tarantino <laughs> to handle this delicately. Who can we trust? <laughs> um, but I think that that would be the biggest obstacle. No, that's a good point. That's a good point. I feel like the the name you might be able to get away with if you can say, uh, like, I'd be curious to see how much is is covered under quote-unquote parody law or something similar. Right. And if you if you upped, because this is also a fairly funny movie as well, yeah. if you upped some of the comedic elements uh, over some of the dramatic elements and made it a little bit more of a comedy, I feel like you might have a little more wiggle room. Right. I'm also not a lawyer, so I don't know what I'm talking about. That's true. If you're a lawyer out there and you're listening to this. He really uh, doesn't. No. But if you're listening to this and you're like, you know what? He's right. They could make it. Uh, then hit us up. Let us know how we can do so. I'm down to write songs. I'm also down to do to play Bruce Leroy in the uh, previews. I'll probably get replaced at some point because, like, I'm a busy man. You know what I'm saying? They'll put, uh, like, Jonathan Groff in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what they do. Like, he's the dude who shows up and takes over roles from people who don't make it to Broadway. <laughs> uh, yeah, Jonathan Groff is going to be uh, the Eddie Arcadian character. That's less problematic. Yes. Yes. He's, no, Jonathan Groff is... <laughs> no, no, no. If, if I had my, my pick... Um, ah, man. I mean, I think uh, Leslie Odom is, is a little too old. But uh, Anthony Ramos is not. Okay. Um, so I think I would have Anthony Ramos play... Um, the Blue, Bruce Leroy character. All right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be good. Mm, all right. So, yeah, lawyers out there. Hit us like, up. Uh, Faith Prince could play the same character. She does Broadway. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, I, we've, we've kind of hinted at it, but let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about the, the problematic elements of this movie. Um, 
so I um how do I even start? So I was having a recent conversation about kung fu and the generalization of cultures used when people are referring to martial arts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was specifically talking about how people conflate a lot of different um, ideologies and, and forms and thoughts um, and are just like, everything is Kung Fu. Right. It's, it's Asian. Right. Yeah. Um, and I feel like this movie does a, a little bit of that in that like um, it, it is, it takes the, concept of like oh yeah you know like a bunch of like it's martial arts so like they they gotta use san and they gotta like uh fortune cookies and and uh these specific japanese things but like you know the kung fu um and i (laughs) i'm a little more sensitive to it especially as a as an adult because i i'm not i'm not just an adult i'm also a martial artist um (laughs) And so I'm like, oh, I see. I see what they're doing. Um, And it's all wrong. Um, So that part bothered me. But I think the biggest piece that uh, is troublesome from a broader perspective, if you're not a martial artist um, and also socially conscious, um, are the three Asian characters that are basically there. They are the equivalent to the crows in uh dumbo where they're like weird jive talking um dudes and i it i get the role reversal like i get the writer being like all right this is funny because uh usually it is a asian man getting hassled by um streetwise black men but what we're gonna do is have the streetwise asian men hassling the young black man uh and i was like okay and they kept using this term that i had to look up which is coolie um which is a uh slang term which is offensive mm-hmm. um for a, a it's, it's it's like a asian laborer which i guess is what the outfit that he was wearing was like preferred like people who wore that outfit is that's what they were referred to in a derogatory way. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned something. I don't think I uh, registered that when I was younger. Right. Um, I don't even think I remembered that any of the scenes with the, the jive Asian How characters. How could you forget? I think the majority of the movie I remember is just the shown off stuff. Right. Um, everything else I think was filler to me as a young person because those those scenes really stuck out to me in large part because i sat there going so who would be the most offended by this you know what i mean like which which group would find this the most heinous right because there's Um, a list there's a short list of of most offended parties that it could possibly be and i wasn't sure um i mean i think that uh asians would find it the most offensive um, I think second to, uh, I think next would be black folk. Um, and I think white people are like this hilarious. It's like, leave me out of this. White people are like, <laughs> yo, look at these fucking minorities doing minority <laughs> things. They're switching the stereotypes. I get it, bro. Oh, damn. These are so, so funny. 
Where is this white person from? This white person is from, from Brooklyn? everywhere. From this everywhere. is every that's white how person. White people that's sound. how white people sound when they're like chuckling at minorities. <laughs> hey, bro, this is that. That's what he, the black guy's doing the Asian thing, and the Asian thing's doing the black guy thing. Uh, oh, oh man, yeah, look, look at that just juxtaposition bro oh you see it's funny because it's a role reversal bro oh damn you know it's 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 humor is all about surprise and expectations you expect the black guy to act one way and you expect the asians to act a different way right and so your expectations are subverted because they are reversed bro here's a 20 (laughs) just leave the jar There's, there's what there's one white guy who's really got no stake in this at all. He just wants more mayonnaise. <laughs> yeah, of course. There's always that white guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's the one who uh, these characters were talking to. Yeah. The that white guy is like, when's the mayonnaise coming? Um, I don't understand this movie. And the other guys are like, oh, bro, let me explain the comedy <laughs> to you. He's like, okay. I mean, if you can do it before the mayonnaise comes, <laughs> I guess we can do it. Sure. Um, uh, yes. Um, though I, I will say that I did really like the mentor character. Yeah. He, uh, he, he very much fit the archetype that he was going for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that they did a really good job of, of like having him play the role of like, you don't need me anymore. And so I'm going to give you vague, um, like prophetic advice so that you yourself can find the answers from within. Right. Uh, and, and I like that. Obviously he is very much the archetype of the wise mentor figure, but they also give you a few moments where you see like, no, he's, he's a guy, he's a human being, you know right. what I mean? He's not just a collection of tropes. He's the guy that like, he, he takes this all very seriously. This is real. This is crucially important. This is vital to him. And it's vital to him that he passes it on to worthy pupils. But at the same time, he's also the dude that like when Bruce Leroy is like, Oh, where are you going? Are you going on a quest to attain knowledge? He's like, no, I'm going to go visit my mom in Florida. Yeah. You know, like I, I like those moments. It makes him feel, even though we don't get to spend a crazy amount of time with him, it makes him feel like a far more rounded character. It makes him feel like a character and not a type. Right. Uh, character instead of a caricature. There you go. Because this is, obviously, this is a, a role that could very, very easily fall into the realm of caricature. Right. So I appreciate that you get those little moments that that make you feel like he's got, he's got a life outside of uh, speaking in riddles. Right. Yeah. Um, and I like that... Um, I like that he cares so much about Leroy Mm -hmm. that like he, he knew that Leroy needed some kind of motivation to keep moving forward. Um, and he just decided to mess with him instead. Um, cause like he, he knew that everything that Leroy needed was inside of him, Mm -hmm. but he needed a purpose or otherwise he would have just sat in a in one spot being like what do i do master um but i also like that leroy himself has his own students um because one day he's also going to be giving them riddles which i i really that that's the sequel that we all need is um yoda yoda bruce leroy being (laughs) like 
here, you get a belt buckle. Um, and they're like, I don't understand what you're doing. Well, it's not. Look, we live in an age where every IP is getting rebooted, sequelized, whatever. They already gave us The Last Dragon. So now I think the time is right for uh, the rise of Leroy. And we'll get that movie where finally we'll catch up with Bruce Leroy many, uh, many years later. And he is. He is the wise master. And he now has to pass on what he's learned to the next generation. But because there's ladies in this one, uh, people will cry foul and right. say, you're inserting politics into entertainment where previously there was none. <laughs> and it's like, bro, have you ever seen any of these movies? There was none! <laughs> um, Yeah. <laughs> Um, like, so another bit of culture swapping that happened is, is so, uh, Shogun is traditionally a Japanese concept. Um, and yet Shonuf claims himself the Shogun of Harlem. He also uses, based on his hands, tiger style Kung Fu, (laughs) um, which, I mean, again, I have no problem with the style that he uses. It just feels like a, it feels like someone was like, yeah, it's all Asia. Who cares? And I want someone to care. It's I, I will say this, um, even though I, I agree with you, it is problematically simplistic. <laughs> it's it's hard for me to take it all that seriously because the the same guy who really yes we are taking every conceivable uh trope every cultural touch point just throwing it all into one box and shaking it up right this is also the same character who glows red when he fights and he has like a, a literally it looks like they drew it onto the frames uh yeah. this red outline around him and once he starts doing that it's like all right well this isn't I mean, if the rest of the movie leading up to this wasn't enough of an indication, <laughs> I don't feel like I'm meant to be taking this particularly seriously. I know. Um, I first of all, it's only around his hands. He doesn't. He hasn't reached enlightenment to that's, get the that's full right. glow. Bruce, Bruce Leroy gets the gets the. Full. Yeah, he's not the Iron Fist. He's the Iron Man. That doesn't work. Uh, yep. He's the Iron Man. Um, I mean, yes, I will say that. Like, I do like that. Within this established world, all of these dudes are basically giant fucking weebs. They're just like, they've watched a bunch of TV and are like, yo, I'm fucking cosplaying as Bruce Lee. And this other dude's like, yo, I'm cosplaying as this Shogun and I'm going to be the village bully. Like he watched a bunch of martial arts films and was like, that bully, that's me. And so he's the guy who goes from dojo to dojo challenging everyone like if you've seen it man he's the guy who goes and he's the guy who goes in and is basically like i challenge your dojo and gets his thoroughly destroyed yeah um but it's all in fun before it becomes such a fucking depressing film (laughs) um but uh i do like that aspect that like outside the realm of these guys doing their individual thing. Everyone else is just a normal person just living their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like it, it makes it even more ridiculous that I like, it makes me wonder what show does in his free time when he's not uh, being the, the, the Shogun of Harlem. If he's just like, I got, I got three kids. I'm just going to take care of my kids. And now when they're at school, I'm going to beat up on some chumps. He like makes and sells a tiny model furniture. 
I mean, I'd love it. I'd love it. I like if if there was a sequel, um, then it would be like uh, one of Leroy's kids versus one of Shonuff's kids, and they've both reached the glow, and so you have to figure out what's beyond the glow. So it's like Creed Two. Yes. All right. I like it. Right. That's a good. That's an effective pitch. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I've got legacy story. Those are popular now. They're really good. Uh, and I need it. Uh, I could even. I would even go so far as to make it an animated series. Just so you can go all out with it. With like the martial arts. Ooh boy! Like if if you've seen uh, uh, Jackie Chan Adventures. Yes. It's just like that. Um, but better. And because it's still a Motown production, they do like what Crazy Ex-Girlfriend does, and there's like two musical numbers per episode. Yes. Mm -hmm. But like with it being animated, you could also have the musical numbers be so big and sweeping, and they're like part of the music video. Yep. And like then they could also be fighting to the music. Mm -hmm. Oh, I need this show. Yeah. I need this. Who do we talk to? Barry Gordy. Is he still around? Um, maybe. Uh, Barry Gordy, if you're listening to this and alive, um, please hit us up at Missing Outcast, M-I-S-S-I-N-G-O-U-T-C-A-S-T, or missingoutpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how we can get the rights to this. Um, and also, if you can, uh, include your lawyers so that uh, we can kill two birds with one stone. Just CC them and let us know where all the rights lie so we can start going to town on this sequel series. Uh, Netflix will buy it. Barry Gordy, still alive. Yes. 89 years of age. Yes. As we know, the most active demographic on Twitter. Right. So we, Barry Gordy, tweet us. I also gave him an email address. Barry Gordy's a house stole. Tweets are faster. In fact, it's the exact same speed. Because I need, well, no, because I, I, we would need to follow him back before he could DM us. That's true. It is one step removed. Yes. So um, email us at missingoutpodcast at gmail.com and uh, CC your lawyers and get us information on the rights to The Last Dragon, all of the Bruce Lee stuff. We would appreciate you contacting the Lee estate for us. Yes. Um, could you do that? Thank you. Just CC their lawyers, too. Um, and then uh, we'll all get together and we'll have a powwow. We can do like a video call if yeah. you'd like, um, or just a voice call. Like video calls require you to like get made up or whatever and so like just we can do voice um but everyone make sure that you identify yourself as you're talking so it'll be like hey uh tari here from missing out uh, i just had a question about the licenses to rhythm of the night and then it'll be like barry gordy barry gordy's lawyer here uh my name's sam ferguson uh i you have you can have the rhythm of the night license because that can be the opening and closing but all the other mu music will have to be fresh and uh prepped and i'll be like all right great and then uh bruce lee's lawyers will be like uh, bruce lee's lawyers here uh my name is jensen kirkpatrick <laughs> jensen ackles jensen kirkpatrick <laughs> you're you're the lawyer for the lee estate <laughs> yep he's like yeah supernatural ain't my only source of income <laughs> i do law on the side for the lee estate yep um and then we can get uh name and likeness but no footage 
you know what? I actually feel like that's a good deal. Yes. You don't need the footage. Right. You just need to be able to reference him. Hey, that's true. This is good. Jensen yeah. Ackles is a good lawyer. He is. Wait, no, he's arguing on behalf of the... Who's who's the lawyer that's trying to get... Who's our lawyer? We are our lawyer. We're our own lawyers? Yes. That's why we didn't get the rights. What? That We got the rights that we needed. <laughs> stop Stop arguing against us. All right. Um... <laughs> When you when you email us, only uh, address it to me. Lex is uh, now he he's he's established that he's going to ruin a silent this deal. So <laughs> just talk to me, Lex. You gotta you gotta you gotta we gotta be on the same page. It was a good deal, and then you overshowed our hand. <laughs> oh man. Um. I so one other thing I really wanted to talk about mm-hmm. was uh, <laughs> Leroy's brother. Um, I believe his name is Richie. And I, I forget the actor's name, but if I recall correctly, isn't he the younger brother or the brother of um, Master G from Sugar Hill Gang? I don't know. I think I read that somewhere. Okay. That's neither here nor there. I do think it's an interesting bit of trivia. Ooh. I don't do trivia. I do facts. <laughs> um. <laughs> and that's the energy you led with in the legal <laughs> negotiations. <laughs> and that's why we got the... Br- Bruce Lee likeness, right? Yep. Um, because he's got Bruce Lee's got to appear in dream sequences. <laughs> he's like, um, he's like in uh, in True Romance when uh, Christian Slater is always talking to like the spirit of Elvis and stuff, but you yeah. never see Elvis's face. You just see the rhinestone suit. Exactly. It's Val Kilmer, and you still you don't see his face. Val was like, I'm gonna set my vanity aside for the for the effect and for the art. Hell yeah. And and Tony Scott eventually was like, stop saying that. <laughs> um, but Richie was gross. Um, yeah, he was gross, but he was gross. Like it's, it's, it's hard to be offended by it because he's a kid. Right. Whereas he if he was a gro- if it was Bruce Leroy uh, objectifying vanity in this way, uh, treating her like a prize to be won, that's definitely ickier. Right. Um, I just the, like, but here's the thing. Some writer had to put those words in his mouth. Some writer was like, yo, let's talk about dicks <laughs> and let's have this, uh, this 12 year old boy be like, yo, if you don't do so fucking right, your dick gonna hurt. <laughs> That's what he said. No. I was there and he was like, yo, yo, you do it wrong. Shit's gonna hurt you. Fuck the woman. Who cares about her? It's going to hurt your dick. <laughs> your ball's going to be popping. It does feel like somebody did an additional pass on the script and was like, not enough dick talk in this movie. Who's, yeah. who's, who's, <laughs> who's mouth, my mouthpiece? Whose mouth can I put this dick in? <laughs> Ew. I'm sorry. Yep. <laughs> That's, that was no good. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be my new uh, text tone. <laughs> whose mouth can I put this dick in? <laughs> Um, but it, but it does. That's true. It is a little bit. It's a little bit egregious. And I, but I do feel like they, they managed to get away with it, if only because it's it's coming from a character who very clearly isn't meant to know any better. Right. We're not supposed to be taking this at face value as as a valid approach to these scenarios. Right. Um. Though I mean, maybe maybe he should have won the girl in the end. He should have been like, "Yo, me, Richie." I um I would like to use my paintbrush upon your <laughs> genitals. <laughs> so you really bailed on the metaphor halfway through, didn't you? <laughs> so he's twelve. He doesn't really get how metaphors no, work. No, of yet. course not. Yeah. 
He's like, metaphor or simile? How do I do? How how do I do? Um, but yeah, so I it it like was gross. I was like, please turn this kid off, someone please. Um, but he it ended up working out in the end, I guess. Uh, yeah, and he's there. He's there at the. He doesn't really. <laughs> I don't know if he really experiences any personal growth by the end of this, <laughs> but he does at the very least at the at the end. He sort of shushes somebody who's disparaging his brother, and it's like, no, that's my brother, and he's the master. Yeah, it's like, all right, that's a nice thing. Finally, yeah, finally, you said a nice, non-demeaning thing about somebody. <laughs> it, no, it's a full arc. You he go. He went from "You're not my brother" to "That is my brother." And all he and all Leroy had to do was nearly kill someone. <laughs> that's that's it. Yep, <laughs> my brother's cool because he's violent. <laughs> yeah, um, I uh, <laughs> I'm gonna circle back around to violence. Um, <laughs> one of the things I really did like about uh, Leroy's character also um, is his unwillingness to show uh, violence in front of his students. Mm-hmm. Um, this, that there's a whole scene where Shonoff comes to his, his dojo and comes Kung Fu, so it's not a dojo. doesn't matter. Um, comes to his, uh, place of training and essentially like he challenges him and like they're, they're the school motto is like, I pray that I never have to use my art. Um, which is basically like, I, I, I learned my art for inner peace and not, for uh, outer violence, basically. Right. Um, and I really like that he was willing to, um, like, show humility in, 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 instead of being violent. And, and, like, you see how that doesn't translate to his kids, uh, especially, I forget the character's name, but he was the, the guy who kept referring to himself as Oriental. Um, oh, the, his, his, like, sort of cocky sidekick guy? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, I like that you also get to see him come to understand why uh, Leroy is the way he is. Right. And he learns the lesson, even though he does so by being violent. He and all the kids go in and they're like, let's do violence upon these miscreants. <laughs> um, and they do their violence well. And they're like, yay, we won. Yeah. Violence carried the day once more. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I forgot how much I like uh kids uh banding together to take on adults okay um it reminded me of three ninjas if you watched ever watched that series i saw i've seen three ninjas i have seen what is it three ninjas kick back yeah many times more okay um it like i i forgot about how big of a trope it was in the 80s to have like kids doing martial arts against adults so like there was three ninjas surf ninjas um you also had a bunch of stuff in in the teenage mutant ninja turtles like it's all over like kids movies for a certain amount of time karate kid also of course um and i i i forgot how much i enjoyed it Okay. And so seeing it happen in this movie, I was like, "Oh, I forgot about how like cute this is." Sure. Um like the the youngest kid who is now like a professional actor martial artist whose name I forget. Um he uh and you, he is 
one of the most memorable parts of the movie. Um, and also one of the most fun just to see him like basically wiping the floor with all these dudes. And it's really cute. Yes. Mm, so cute. Rolls around taking out their legs and stuff. Heck yeah. Mm-hmm. That's how you got to do it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I miss that. I miss it. I want more. Um, in the animated sequel to this movie, um, those se- sequences are going to be live action. Like it's going to set up. Um, <laughs> hey, don't look at me weird. It's going to set up <laughs> in, in animation and then it's going to fade into a real life uh, scenario. But like all the sound effects and like hit um, hits will still be animated. It's going to be real dope. Well, that's partially what they do in the in the final battle between Bruce Leroy and shown up, right? Yeah. Like all of the strikes, you get an extension of that kind of cartoony outline around their bodies. And I found myself thinking, man, if only there had been more of this in the movie, like I would have liked the like, Batman 66 version of this where it's the same movie, but every strike is accompanied by either like an onomatopoeia effect, like <laughs> pow or chop or whatever it is, yeah. or just the squiggly the the sort of electricity looking lines every time there's a hit mm. put it in the dance numbers too <laughs> um i liked it because it it was like the f- it it appealed to my like anime sensibilities where it's like you've reached the final form and so like the the bad guy has kind of what you're looking like what you're looking to achieve but it's like a corrupted version and so he can't do the full version and you're like oh man he's he's doing the thing that i want to do and then you're like but no I surpass him by learning what he never did. Um, I, w- I I think that like, I wish that Shonuff had mentioned like wanting the glow beforehand. Mm-hmm. Like that's why he keeps trying to be the master is he's like, I got, I, I got these hands, these strong hands, but I'm going to get the glow. Ho, 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 ho. That's what I want. Um, so if I were, if we were in the director's cut, I hope there's a scene where uh, Shonuff is is getting ready in the morning, feeding his kids, um, being like, "Honey, I wish, I wish I could get that full glow." And all I have to do is beat up Bruce Leroy. And she's That's... like, "I don't know what you're talking about." <laughs> <laughs> and then you like you you like zoom out just a little bit, and you see that he's frying the egg. He's like he's using his hand glow <laughs> to fry the eggs in his palm. Yeah. Um, she's like, all right, cool. Have a great day, honey. I wish you worked. <laughs> yeah. Because Shonuff doesn't have a job. His, His job is crimes. <laughs> is it? it? It is. I don't think so. He doesn't do crimes. Like he does assaults. Right. Which, that's a crime. Which is a crime technically, but he doesn't do crimes plural. Ah, uh, okay. So we're now we're we're hackling over the definition. <laughs> well, he doesn't do like lucrative crimes. He doesn't do different types of crimes. Right. But he does the one crime many times. Yes. But it's it's not like he's making money from his crimes. So he's he's not doing like the Eddie Arcadian thing where he's like, My crimes result in dollars. He's like he does crimes for fun and he's like a crime hobbyist. <laughs> Which is different, you know? Like, he's doing his crimes for exposure. Like, he's always like, yo. That's why he needs everyone to know that he's the Shogun of Harlem. Because he's like, it's his branding. He's branding himself for exposure. (laughs) He can eventually monetize his following. Right, exactly. His following so far is six. (laughs)
Yeah. <laughs> um, do you have any last thoughts about this movie before we wrap up? Uh, a couple quick things. Just that obviously, as we've established, like this, this movie is loaded with both subtle and very overt references to the canon of Bruce Lee. Uh, obviously, there's a sequence where Bruce Leroy is wearing the yellow jumpsuit from Game of Death. Yep. Uh, the whole the structure of the the third act essentially where he's got to battle his way through progressively tougher hench people before he makes it to the final boss. Obviously, it's very video gamey, but also very much something out of uh, Bruce Lee movies, specifically like Game of Death, for example, yeah. has a very similar structure to that as well. Also, we referenced all of the musical numbers. Um, they're very weird. The musical numbers? Yeah, like they're just very odd numbers like the first number vanity has the song itself is very odd yeah and her performance is very odd in a different way (laughs) it almost seems like the song starts and she's performing it but she doesn't really know how she got there Mm. she doesn't really know why this is happening but this is the song that she's performing which could which maybe isn't even acting that might actually be how vanity (laughs) felt on set that day i mean maybe it's almost as if this movie was produced by a music producer uh, who really wanted to use it as a showcase for his talent as opposed to like making a real movie. Almost. But honestly, I feel like that is part of what makes this movie so noteworthy. Oh, yeah. Is the weirdness of it. Obviously, we don't get we don't get too terribly many movies featuring black leads that are about martial arts. Yeah. And especially ones that are played Uh, even a little bit straight, right? Like most of my exposure to movies featuring black leads where martial arts is a a heavy element are, it's stuff like Dolomite. You know what I mean? Like it's overtly comedic. Yeah. Um, So you don't, you don't get it very often. Um, But I feel like, well, I do feel like maybe if it was a little less weird, it might have been taken uh, broadly more seriously, and maybe we would have gotten more like it. Instead, it's this it's this a very specific sort of cult uh, gem, but I feel like that's what makes this thing so unique and kind of special, is that it, it has that element, and they do play it fairly straight, yeah. but at the same time, it's so weird. Yes, I think the... Th- kind of like piggybacking off of what you were saying, I think it, it resonates so much and it's because it's basically just a love letter to a, an assortment of things. And though it doesn't take itself seriously, or I guess because it doesn't take itself so seriously, we can really just kind of like sit back and let the, the homage and, and the, the like pastiche as you call it, um, like wash over us and, and let it, give us the things that we want to enjoy from it with the people that it's made with, which is people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, it allows people like myself to just go, I love martial arts. I love music. I love um, silly, entertaining movies. And I get all of those things. And it is made with such a, a passion and a purpose yeah. that you can just go, yes, I resonate with this. And that I feel like is, uh, there, there are a number of elements that I think give this movie value, but I think for me, the, the biggest one is that in terms of approach, they are genuinely and deeply reverential towards yeah Bruce Lee himself, but also the types of entertainment and also the various forms of philosophy that, that inform 
the characters and the story they're telling. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, okay, that's that's all in place. And we take those elements very seriously. Now that we're all in agreement on that, let's have fun and be real weird. Yeah. And I, I like that a lot. I And it's, it's tough to, of course, your mileage may vary, but it's tough to walk that line and generate something that I think does both equally well. Yeah. And I think Last Dragon actually manages to walk that line where it is deeply reverential, but it's also really goofy bonkers. Yeah. And I appreciate, you know, like honestly, a movie doesn't even have to be quote unquote good. However you want to define that uh, for me to enjoy it. It just sometimes if you just commit real hard to your weirdness, that's enough. And I think last dragon manages to do both. Yeah. Plus there's a lot of really weird musical numbers. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, so what did you guys think? Uh, you can let us know on our Twitter, which is Missing Outcast, M-I-S-S-I-N-G-O-U-T-C-A-S-T. But if you want to talk directly to Lex Michael, you can probably do it here. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at the Lex Michael. Or if you want to talk to me, you can talk to me at Tari J, T-E-R-I-J-A-Y on Instagram and Twitter as well. Uh, so... Thank you guys for joining us. We're so excited to talk about this movie. Uh, we hope you didn't have any issues with daylight savings or something. Um, I, I got like serious temporal whiplash this weekend because I forgot what day that was supposed to happen. Uh-huh. I was up so late on Saturday that I was I was delirious. I thought the clocks had changed that night. <laughs> and so when the clocks changed again Sunday, I, I literally sat there staring at my phone for a full two minutes like 120 seconds trying to figure out if if that's when daylight savings happened or if i was experiencing some severe mental deterioration oh so i hope i hope you had an easier time of it than i did (laughs) um yeah guys hit up lex on on his twitter instagram just just let me know that we're doing okay let me know that we've achieved temporal stability yeah just just hit him up guys is it the same hour for for all of us it is uh but yes also uh make sure to join us week to week uh and let, we'll, we'll keep you posted on what we will be talking about on our twitter so until then this has been the retrospective that's introspective and now you have a new perspective Sorry, Jay. I'm going to be listening to that dirty book song on repeat for at least a month. I'm going to I'm going to drive it out. I'm going to turn its own power against it and drive it out of my skull <laughs> by boring it deeper and deeper into my skull until it's forced out the other side. Yeah, do it. You know, it's a good song because it, it has rhythmic tunes, bro. Where's the mayonnaise? <laughs>